0: Hi guys, just a quick uh, warning going into Minute 109. Uh, while we do stay spoiler-free for this discussion of Fallen Kingdom, please be in mind we are using stuff that we've seen in the trailers to talk about. So if you're staying completely spoiler-free, including the trailers and any behind-the-scenes material, it might pay to just uh, check out the details in the podcast feed, and um, and I'll have the uh, timestamp for when we finish talking about the film there so you can skip it. And uh, in, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll get a couple of people on and we'll uh, we'll go full hog on Fallen Kingdom. But until then, here's Minute 109. Minutes, the podcast 997 sequel dressing Park. One minute time. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. And today we're back after a uh, a brief <laughs> a brief rest period. I um I've just got over tonsillitis, so uh, I've been pain. But uh, we're back this week to talk 109 of the Lost World. Uh, unfortunately, without Jay this week. But uh, David, we've got a movie to, to discuss.
1: Yeah. Well, first things first. Uh, did you at least eat a lot of ice cream? No, no, a lot of
0: frozen, no? frozen Coke. Oh,
1: <laughs> uh, all right, because I, I always heard ice cream was the best thing for Townsville lives. Was...
0: Hmm, well, yeah, cold, cold sort of stuff like that, um, <laughs> apple cider, alcoholic apple cider was good. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: so I was, so uh, making I, lo- I love my orchard. Yeah, yep. So, um, that, yeah, that, uh. Stopped us from recording last week, because I could barely speak, but uh, we're back this week. There's still a little mm-hmm. bit of phlegm in the throat, so I apologise if I get a little bit miss uh, or hard to understand as we get talking, but um, Fallen Kingdom, David, I missed my opportunity yesterday to see it, so I've not seen it yet, but I've pretty much know the ins and outs. This, first up, this is going to be completely spoiler-free, we're uh, just going yeah. to have a bit of a discussion about it. Mm-hmm. I suppose starting right off from some of the trailers, David, you're excited about uh, the look of the film.
1: Yeah, I was. I was excited because Bayona is a great horror director and he's great at creating this kind of suspense and tension and these great visuals too. That he And he brings all of that to Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Mm. I want to say that I was like shaking in my seat for that last hour with the Indoraptor. It was tense. It was scary. It was dark. It was every. It was bringing the novel straight to the film.
0: So you did say in through um, messaging that you know, um, when you got out that it's something you probably wouldn't take the children to see like Jurassic World.
1: Yeah, Jurassic World was very light and fluffy and. Uh, it's like Jurassic Park through a child's eyes. It's that wonder and joy that mm. you have in the film. There are scary parts, I will admit, in Jurassic World, but there's just no tension.
0: Yeah,
1: that, all the tension that Jurassic Park had in the Lost World, and even some for some bits of Jurassic Park Three, it just was missing from Jurassic World. And Fallen Kingdom brings make more than makes up for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, we we've, we've discussed a few times here about. Um... Some of the failings with Jurassic World in that. I, I rewatched it last night so I can at least compare do a little bit of comparison um now. Especially when we get to the score and that a little bit later. But um Yeah, just the fact that like there's there's a couple of sort of small tense parts, but nothing that's really I suppose nothing that really compares to the other films. Mm-hmm. Which again, Jurassic World's its own thing. It's sort of yes, it's the fourth in the line, but it's sort of starting off this new story, this new trilogy, and all that. But as as you're saying, like just the tenseness, the intensity of Fallen Kingdom in places um, or in parts, so much, so much better and um, better than what we've seen in Jurassic World.
1: Yeah, this is probably. It, I mean, just from the, what I saw, it's. Terrifying. It's probably the scariest Jurassic Park movie I've ever seen. And I was like shrinking into my seat. The kid next to me, the, uh, there's a little girl next to me. She was about uh, nine or ten. And oh no. She was like hugging her mom the entire time with the Indoraptor. And it was, I mean, it's tense. I won't say straight horror, but it's almost there. Yeah. And it's just. I was shrinking in my seat, scared that this thing was going to come through the screen and get me. <laughs> it's just the most nightmarish dinosaur you could imagine, brought to life. I would say this is probably the first Jurassic World or Jurassic Park movie that is iffy for under thirteen. I'd say see it first and then decide whether or not you want, you think your kid's tough enough. You must be this high to ride this ride. <laughs>
0: And that's sort of one of the things. We've talked before about the other films how it's sort of implied implied horror. Mm-hmm. But this isn't this isn't the fact that they're dropping the F bombs or you just see people completely obliterated on screen. It's just the suspense and those horror themes that um you've mentioned. And that in well, <laughs> that in obliterated
1: rap- on screen in this one.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs>
1: they, do. they they do they pull a nerdy car several times.
0: Oh wow, okay. Mm-hmm. So they are really going for that that PG-13. Oh, yes.
1: yes, they are. I would say, you know how there's on the spectrum of PG-13, you can be kind of light and fluffy and then dark and James Cameron-ish? Mm. I'd say on the spectrum, Jurassic Park's probably middle. The Lost World is a little bit further down this, towards James Cameron than Jurassic Park. And then Jurassic World is opposite of that, towards the fluff. This one is all the way at the end, whereas James Cameron pushing the PG thirteen. Yeah, and you can
0: sort of look at some of the other the other franchise films too, like some of the R rated franchise films that went to PG after being mm-hmm. R, like sort of Predator and Die Hard, where um, it's more well Predator you sort of start losing the blood and and that sort of thing, and Die Hard you sort of start losing the language and some of the the violent scenes, but. This seems to be sort of the other way, where yes, the other films have been mm-hmm. PG thirteen as well, but instead of sort of staying safe with some scenes having off screen deaths um, and all that sort of thing, here they've sort of really pushing, pushing for those suspenseful scenes mm-hmm. and that PG
1: thirteen. Yeah, no, this one. I mean, you don't miss the language just because the visual horror is just so there that you're that you can see. This one won PG-13 for the visuals rather than the language, you know, where um, Jurassic World had, I think, a couple mentions of the the word shit and bitch and a couple other vulgarities that kind of earned it that PG-13. Whereas this one, it's more the dialogue is, I'd say, better than Jurassic World, but it adds a level of levity that is appreciated between the visuals you know yeah i mean it's not full kind of action comedy i wouldn't even say horror comedy but it does but the dialogue does add levity to these tense situations that you you welcome the levity you welcome you need the laugh at the end of some of these scenes yeah you know just to remember okay it's just a movie we're having fun the Indoraptor's not going to come and in, break into your room in the middle of the night,
0: you know? Yeah, well, yeah. There's, there's been some discussion about some of the comedic parts in the film, whether people like it or dislike. That's the issue mm-hmm. of comedy. Comedy is incredibly subjective. One person's... So you might like one comedy and the next person absolutely hate it. Mm-hmm. Like That's one sort of thing that happened, or one of the issues with um, the Ghostbusters reboot. Some some mm. people found some of the stuff funny, others not so much. And then, of course, you just had those uh, man babies that didn't want to see girls doing the job <laughs> of their boys. So. Um, what do you feel about the uh, the runtime? Do you feel it sort of flowed? The editing, because I know after rewatching Jurassic World, and full disclosure, I think it was the fifth time I've actually seen it because I'm not a big fan of the film at all. But um, when, they, when we finally get to letting raptors go after the Indominus, it's sort of the film pretty much stops <laughs> everything that's happened and goes after the Indominus with the raptors there. Mm. Did you feel sort of Fallen Kingdom, it was long enough, it wasn't too long? Because there's an article here I'm looking at now that um, apparently it was originally 2 hours and 40 minutes, um, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of, uh, I think there was 20, 25 minutes that were actually cut from the film. One of them just reading here was the fact that Zara was going to come out that she was a lesbian in the film, which I don't, I don't think was needed at all.
1: It no. wasn't needed, but I mean, to the fa- to the fact that in Jurassic Park, the movies, the characters um, kind of characterization is always sacrificed for the pacing, mm. and any depth to any character would be welcomed by me. You
0: yeah, know? yeah, no, good point.
1: Just because a lot a lot of times, especially in Jurassic World, we got these kind of characters that were just. So cardboard cutout, like Hoskins was practically a cliched Bond villain, you know. And I could see, I could see the dialogue after watching the movie. I could see, uh, was it Zia? I think her name was again. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I could,
1: I could see her saying it as a snarky comeback,
0: you know. And that's, and yeah, that's all the reveal is. Apparently, um, it was just, uh. Owen and Z sort of talk at each other before the auction at the, towards the end of the film, and um, mm-hmm. it's just a line where she says, "I don't date man, but I did. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be with you." So sort of just as a dig at Chris, which which is perfectly fine. That if that's going to say that, okay, implying she's lesbian, that's that's fine. We don't we don't need to see the the rainbow flags and that <laughs> and everything sort of coming out on screen. Imply it, that's fine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need no, It doesn't need to be a big standout. Standout part, but as you said, if if we can get a little bit more um, character building Mm -hmm. in these films, it uh, it'll be appreciated.
1: Yeah, no, but to go back to your question about the pacing, I will say that the island, the island, we probably spend half an hour there, and it's I will say it's a it's a tease. They could have they could have added another twenty minutes to the island scenes. And it would have been very much appreciated by me. But then again, I loved what Bayona did with the island. I loved his cinematography that he brought to it. And it felt very The Lost World uh, in that sense. And, you know, me, I'm always up for more Isla Sorna-style kind of dark jungle feel. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the pacing on the island is way too short. I feel like they even show too much of the island in the trailers that we get almost... No, I won't say most of it, but a lot of it. And so it's just that, I mean, you love what you get, but what you get, but you love it to the point where you want more of it, you know. And now we're since we're leaving the island behind, where you won't, you probably will not get more of it.
0: Yeah, that's that's one sort of thing I don't really or dislike about Jurassic World, just the fact you've got this massive park and you see so little of it in operation during the film even again re-watching last night, just seeing the whole water park side of it, water fun park and all that, you're like, yes, okay, it's just another water fun park. You probably don't need to see that on film and it would have been um, taking up time spent on uh, other things and more important plot. But um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Even just those those photos that come out before the film's release of the marine park side of things, were there more marine animals in there or was it just the mosasaur? Yeah. Um, and you sort of get these little glimpses at the Mosasaur feeding, uh, the, the petting zoo, um, a couple of scenes in Trenosaur Kingdom, and um, a lot of it on Main Street, which was their biggest set they built for the film.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But now, going into this, I think there was, I'd quickly seen a, um, there was a bit of a, one of those, it's like a TV spot then goes into a five-minute behind-the-scene little featurette um, last night, and it's sort of Chris and all that, when they were doing a lot of the stuff on island uh, in the valley, running away from the lava and the, the flow, the volcanic flow and that sort of stuff, and just how they're... Um, it looks like they're back in the Gyrosphere Valley, and you see those fences and that from Jurassic World, but now they're all ruined, rusty. Mm-hmm. And all that sort of stuff I loved in The Lost World, just seeing the remnants of what was there before. Mm-hmm. It's why that seeing that Brachiosaur on Main Street from the trailer, I absolutely love, just seeing... Main Street, the way it is now, four years later, it just it definitely invokes that Lost World feel, which I love, and, yeah, and yeah. certainly for some parts of Jurassic Park 3 as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say that something about Jurassic World that I kind of enjoyed was, or, but not enjoyed, but in a way that made me kind of envious, I guess it would be the word, was when we get that when they, when Grey opens up the shutters to the balcony in the hotel room. And we get that pan over the lagoon, mm. and I I always think, wouldn't it be great to have a vacation there? <laughs> just I mean, if you're rich enough to just enjoy, being able to lie around on a beach on a dinosaur island uh, resort island, in the middle of the day, for like a week, I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? But you it,
0: know? and even just the sounds, like from that vantage point, you could see across to the mosasaur feeding show. Um, mm-hmm. which would give a whole new scale to the animal just being that far away and seeing how massive it is coming out of the water with the uh, stadium in the background. But even <laughs> even just hearing the roar of the Tyrannosaur moving across the area when it has its feeding there from Tyrannosaur mm-hmm. Kingdom. And even as we sort of seen later on in Jurassic World where Claire goes to see Chris at his little bungalow trailer thing, um, just the Brachiosaurus trumpeting in the background. Mm-hmm.
1: Just,
0: just I that will sort of say stuff. That-
1: I'm sorry. I I will say that, speaking of sounds, the sound design is vastly superior to Jurassic World. I did really like the raptor sound mixing they did for Jurassic World, and the T-Rex roaring was kind of one note, I'd say. Mm. But they definitely fixed that with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. The lost raptor sounds that they do for blue just makes you think back, and it just evokes the first movie, those kind of sounds, the kind of sounds they made, where you just, you re, you think of the first movie, and the raptors, and what, and the kind of sounds that they make, when you're, when you see Blue, Blue is much more Velociraptor feral, hmm. than Velociraptor pet, in this movie.
0: Yeah, and that's one thing, I definitely picked up last night, rewatching Jurassic World, just the use in the background, of some of those Velociraptor sounds, like the shrieking, and that, the, um, you sort of heard when that initial scene when they're at the pen and they've just fed them or they're hunting for that cow. Um, mm-hmm. They're using those sort of streaking wild raptor sounds when yeah. in the background all of a sudden Hoskins turns around and here they are in their cradles as um, Omar, Omar uh, Sai? Is that him? Yeah. yeah, when um, Omar Sai's standing there and just got the raptors in the thing like how are they making these wild trilling raptors sounds when they're here in these devices sort of Mm-hmm. steady and it's just some of the stuff like that like playing the wild raptor sounds when they're anything but wild mm-hmm. wild raptors but but yeah, no, that's, that's they, good to hear that's good to hear if they've sort of fixed that problem
1: yeah fact. they definitely did and that was one of the things that kind of bugged me watching jurassic world myself was you they have these muzzles on them when they have, when they're working with them and they're making these screeching and roars and screams mm. how they don't have their mouth open, you know? Yeah. And that's something they kind of fix when they have um when they have blue in this movie is that even when she's um kinda just and I'm sorry, I'm trying to think of a way to say this like that's not spoilers But when they have her captured and they have her muzzled, which we've seen in the animatronic She's just making purring and grunts. She's not making any screams. She, yep. But she does make screams in the movie, but she just doesn't make them when she's muzzled and physically wouldn't be capable of it. Mm. And that's what I mean when the sound design is much better because, like you said, that was something that bugged me in, in Jurassic World, and they fixed for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom.
0: Yeah.
1: They also kind of... And this is something that I and they did this, they kind of showed this when they did the um, behind the scenes when they're showing Chris Pratt stuck in the cage with the T-Rex. One thing you don't realize when, I mean, if you've ever stood next to a bird, they're loud. I mean, I got a row of trees on my property line that the birds love to nest in. They're loud. Birds are loud. So if you magnify that to a bird the size of a (laughs) T-Rex... That's a very loud sound. Yeah. And they show that in the movie. They show that when the T-Rex roars, it's deafening for the characters, you know? Mm.
0: And that goes, that's a, a good little callback all the way back to Jurassic Park when that is standing over that Explorer and roars. And mm-hmm. um, Lex and Tim have to cover their ears because it's so loud. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And they, the Jurassic World just didn't really seem to have that. They had all these di- big dinosaurs roaring but they never had them actually kind of they never had the characters responding to the fact that they were roaring. Mm. They never had the characters kind of realize that this roar sounds very loud. You
0: know? Well that's and one, one great example of that is during the uh the fight at the end of Jurassic World where the Rex is on its sort of last legs the Indominus grabs it around the neck and around the top of body and while it's on the ground and slides it sideways straight into the Souvenir booth where Chris and the kids are, and the head's mm-hmm. within a couple of feet of them, and, and all of a sudden it bellows and tries to snap at them. It's like, well, yeah, what, are, what are you doing? You, you're being attacked, yet you want to go and try and snap at the uh, the people that are there as well, just for a bit of suspense. And mm-hmm. you're bellowing, the ter- the Tyrannosaurus bellowing within feet of uh, of them, and there's no there's no reaction to it at all. It's just, oh, we, now we've got to get out of here because our hiding place yeah. has been found. Well.
1: That's that's what I was thinking of when I uh, saw the scene in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom was the fact that in Jurassic World they had that shot and they don't react to it. But when they're in the same kind of confined space in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, they react to it, Mm. you know, and that's another great option. It's because sound design is something that's always added in post. It's not something that somebody usually considers Oh, when they're actually filming the movie, because they people don't realize that there's no sound, there's no dinosaur roar, there's no kind of screeching, there's nothing like that. Mm. Yes, and so when the characters aren't reacting to that, I mean that when the when the actors aren't reacting to that, you got to remember that the characters on screen should be.
0: Yeah, well, going back to this little feature I seen last night, um, Justin Smith was talking, who plays. Uh... Uh,
1: yeah
0: not Murphy. what's his name? The other guy that's with Claire and chris the the hacker yeah I'm
1: trying i I can't remember.
0: oh, it's on the tip of my tongue <laughs> anyway, Justice Biff was saying that um though actually when when he was in the uh was when he was in the bunker, they actually had the <laughs> baryonic sound playing over a speaker to sort of scare him and yeah. get him get him a bit more into character to be scared um. Mm-hmm. And it went, apparently Boehner was playing the tricks on him all the time, and it went so far as to one of the other scenes where something happens, and Boehner doesn't tell him what's going to happen, which is straight out of the original aliens, which
1: mm-hmm.
0: fans will pretty much put those two and two together right now, but um it's one of those things in the film where it just sort of you don't tell the actor something's going to happen just to get more of a uh, more of a um reaction out of him when that thing happens, and it just looks fantastic on screen. Mm -hmm. I suppose while we're briefly talking about sounds, the score. um, The score came out, I got on iTunes last week before the film's release in the States. And I think it was was something similar I had with Jurassic World, where you listen to the score on its own without seeing the film, and you hear a lot of different themes in it. Um, There doesn't seem to be as much uh, callbacks to Jurassic Park or the Jurassic Park theme this time around, um, which I've seen some people have been praising.
1: Not so much, but they, it does happen, and it's very appropriate when they when it does. Mm. But I thought the score was very um, kind of, it was kind of took a backseat to the visuals, which is sad because Jurassic Park's always been a franchise with strong with a strong score to it. But I will say that when you're listening to it on CD, it does sound, have a lot of great kind of when I first heard it, it, it reminded me of Raiders plus Jaws, you know, and hmm. Giacchino is very good with what he with what he uh, does, and I'm glad to have him back for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom.
0: Yeah, I, I can hear a bit of Star Wars in there as well.
1: <laughs> I can too, yeah, that's what people have been telling me as well, is that mm-hmm. they can hear a bit of Star Wars in there, which is nice because... You had Giacchino, who's not John Williams, and face it, nobody's John Williams. Hmm. You know, but it's nice that he's able to bring this his own style, yet also have a style reminiscent of uh, what he's kind of trying to evoke. You know, hmm. he's he's not John Williams, but he's got enough of his own. He's like him plus John Williams. You know.
0: Yep. Yep. I'm yeah. Well, one one of the tracks, I think it's um March of the Wheatley Brigade or something. Which I'm guessing mm-hmm. is when the uh, when they all get in their trucks and arrive on the island. It's there's a little pipe or a flute um, solo in there, which I reckon sounds straight up like the uh, battle over Coruscant from Revenge of the Sith. Just that that tone, like yeah, it's a flute. <laughs> it's not the the big horns and big bombastic sounds, but just that mm-hmm. that little tone definitely sounds like it come from there for me. But um, like even rewatching Jurassic World last night, just. How much the score sort of plays into what you're seeing on the screen, and how much it fits in places. I wasn't overly. I, I wasn't. I don't know how I felt about the use of the choir um, for that final scene with the Indominus and the Tyrannosaur fight. But watching the film last night, it's played down like it, it's a lot quieter. You can hear the drums and the, mm-hmm. the um, and that, but you can't really hear the choir in the background while the two animals are fighting, which I thought was. Sort of interesting. They've they've brought the choir in for the first time in these films, yet it's not at a level you can't really hear it in the background.
1: In Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom, I will say that there are moments with the choir with the Indoraptor that are really great, and the choir really does add to this animal's kind of. Uh, it's, it almost reminds me of um, what is it? What was it? Uh, Duel of the Fates in <laughs> Star Wars. It does because it's like this kind of tense, intense scene with the Indo scenes with the Indoraptor, and then you got the choir playing behind it, and it works great.
0: Yeah, you know? well, that's that's good to know then because it, it it's good when it fits. If the Tyrannosaur arrived on the scene for the first time in Fallen Kingdom and Jewel of Fate started playing, then I would have been upset. But, <laughs> but um, it's just yeah, if it's if it's if it's done right, and that's that's great to hear. I suppose one other thing we can briefly talk about, too, the callbacks and fan service. We know that we got the upside-down Explorer 4 Mm -hmm. at the base of the tree where Owen finds. In uh, in Jurassic World, there was a lot of the sort of fan service and callback to the original trilogy, or more so the original Mm -hmm. film as well. How do you think they handled it in Fallen Kingdom? Not too over the top?
1: Oh, definitely not too over the top. This was this film through and through, and um, Jurassic World kind of felt like Trevorrow was almost kind of over- overdoing it with the callbacks, and I remember reading an um, interview one time with Trevorrow where he said that Spielberg had to tell him, stop for the callbacks, make your movie, not, my mo- not, um, not remake mine, <laughs> and I will say that the um, callbacks are kind of kept to a minimum in here. And th- those minimum are also well chosen because we do get a mention of Sorna. We do get uh, uh, we do get a, the picture of Hammond that we've already saw. Yep. And I think it was a magazine, wasn't it? It was just a screenshot from a magazine.
0: Oh, no, it was from one of the Beyond the Scenes featurettes. Oh, Claire. Right. Yeah, right. Claire was they were filming inside that mansion room and Claire was looking at the yeah. the photo. We'll yeah, we portrait. I mean we
1: do get we do get the answers to Lockwood and all that stuff that we were hoping we get. But we also get a lot of like small little nuances that are really, really nice to see. Especially on the island when we um when we see the brachiosaurus and stuff, you get these kind of visual callbacks that are really nice to see because it brings everything kind of full circle mm-hmm. in a way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's all right. That's that's good to hear. Like, yeah, rewatching Jurassic World last night. Some of stuff like, especially when they get to the old visitor center, mm-hmm. like you see the, the the yellow raincoats hanging on the wall, um, and the Jurassic Park helmets there. You don't need the night the night vision goggles did not have to be there at all, and they definitely yeah. didn't well, need to turn on.
1: <laughs> no, nothing in Jurassic World is that in your face. It's all subtle and nice and doesn't really hamper anything whatsoever you know Mm. like it it doesn't take a sidestep at all to ever or an unnecessary sidestep like turning on the as you said the night vision goggles or even driving a 20 year old or (laughs) 20 year old jeep back to the visitor center or the main street you know it's all very subtle and very nice and it almost makes you tear up in some ways because you're like, oh, oh, I get, to, I see that, I remember that from the first movie, mm. but it's in a somber way, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah, I do, I do appreciate now, sort of looking back at Jurassic World and rewatching it. That um, at least with some of the sound design, they did have, especially when the jeep took off, and then when Chris and Bryce can hear it later on, like it's coughing and spluttering. It's nowhere near running. Like a vehicle should, but um, mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit it's a little too late for the fact that they drove it out of the garage to start with. But that's that's a whole different nitpick, and that's that's fine. Yeah. As I said, this is, talking to someone today, that even Jurassic Park has its issues. They all have they all have their issues. I think as as the films got further along, it was almost it's coming along sort of in parallel with Star Wars where it was um, great action scenes or great set pieces sort of linked by poor plotting or or what have you. But now it seems like they've sort of turned that around and, and fixed some of the mistakes from Jurassic World and made a film that, for the most part, people are really enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um, well, here
1: just... with um, Star Wars, people think of the plots and the set pieces and all that being so innovative and so new they weren't it was king arthur in space yeah (laughs) you can you can track star wars and empire strikes back as exactly almost main plot point to main plot point king arthur right down to the black knight uh defeating king arthur in in their first duel Mm. you know
0: well i had a perfect description the other day it's it's space wizards with laser swords fighting nazis (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's King Arthur in space is what yeah. it is, and even even Lucas will admit that, he will admit that he strongly took from Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, mm. you know?
0: Yeah, and then you sort of come to hear, well yeah, the first two films were taken mainly from the books, and then after that they sort of got a bit loose, and as, as you build, again, this was never built to be a franchise like Jurassic World is now going from World into mm-hmm. Thorn Kingdom into the third one. They made Jurassic Park it was successful. Spielberg wanted and cried to write a book. He did and made his film using some sections of the book but not a lot of others and then it was sort of, it was successful as well money-wise and maybe not critically but then along come Jurassic Park 3 and again, Jurassic Park 3 was profitable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It was just sort of, it was almost the Back to the Future issue where they've, they've made a movie and sort of rid of himself into a bit of a, um, problem by then having to make sequels when stuff happened in the first film that would counteract, or anything that would happen in sequels, but, uh, at least now we seem to be, we seem to have, for the most part, the trilogy planned out.
1: hmm
0: How much of that Collins flying by the seat of his pants in writing it or not, we'll, uh, find out when we get to the very end, but, um... 'Cause some things have been said in interviews and then all of a sudden here we are in a new film and uh, it's all happening again, like I love last night. Hoskins Hoskins clearly saying when Grey's looking at that computer screen with the uh, we just seen the Stegoceratops and the Indominus Rex and Hoskins says Imagine that only smaller of raptor mm-hmm. size and um the military applica- applications for it and Colin then saying that not nah, the military idea was Hoskins' idea the idea of a madman and it died with him and here we are we got the raptor the I raptor so mm-hmm. well
1: but, um... i will say that is actually addressed in the movie <laughs> what they're doing with the I raptor and what its purpose is 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 actually addressed in the movie yep i won't say i won't i won't give away what the purpose is but i will say is that you your concerns are addressed
0: yep no that's good and i've seen one of two about someone complaining or sort of asking why does Woo need to be the new villain or why does he need to be so villainous? Well villains villain's a strong term. Yes, Peter Ludlow was the villain of Lost World, but it wasn't he wasn't mustache to it, or he was in some points I suppose, but um he wasn't sort of villainous, he was just a, a businessman after seeing those mm-hmm. dollar signs. You can have that, you can have the difference between that and Phanos <laughs> or Loki, like it's just after their own own well they want their their own sort of ideas their own things to go the way they want to and sometimes it's really villainous and sometimes it's not um Wu, being in the genetic research he's he's pretty much got that god complex now again just listen to the dialogue between him and hoskins and then him and uh maserani in jurassic world mm-hmm. i think it, it sets up the character perfectly for where he is now because again he had two or three lines in that original film, zero character development whatsoever, yet whether fans are just putting too much headcanon into Wu's character and um, not thinking he was as maniacal back in the day as what he is now, or or what have you, but um, it seems like some of that stuff's addressed in Fallen Kingdom as well, so...
1: It is, actually, it is. And it's nice, because, I mean... You can see Wu has learned from his mistakes. Yep. You know, it's, he's learned... He's, in a way, he's learned from the what the Indominus Rex did. And you feel like he's legitimately trying to improve upon it. That he sees that he's got to create this kind of perfect organism. And I'm borrowing that from aliens here, because, yes, the Xenoraptor, Xenomorph- <laughs> the Indoraptor uh, is kind does kind of have that kind of feel to it is that um will does feel like what he's doing is not god's will but it's what he is feels like he's doing nothing wrong you know nobody sees themselves as their own bad guy hmm. and Wu definitely doesn't and he he will is to his credit trying to improve upon what what uh, the Indominus Rex was, and not just as a military application, but as an animal itself. And it's actually not him who sees the dollar signs this time.
0: Yep. All right. Um, I suppose just briefly, um, before you get to final thoughts on the film, I suppose looking at the box office and uh, how it's tracking um, at the moment, it made $15.3 million on that Thursday opening in the U.S., which looking at some of the, some other films that come before it, with Jurassic World, it's about three million behind where it was, which isn't a big difference, that's nothing to be concerned about. It's around the same as what Spider Man Homecoming was. And it's only it's only about two hundred thousand above where Solo was at the same time when yeah. it came out a couple of weeks ago as well, so it it hit it hit the hundred and fifty million that they're projecting for international sales over that opening weekend. And looking at it now, it's it's sitting at about four hundred and sixty six million worldwide and uh fifty eight or nearly fifty nine million opening and that's as of uh that's as of a sad day. So it's still got the Sunday to go as well to add to that, but that's well over half a billion opening, which yeah. they'll be they'll be definitely happy about that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, to also considers that it I don't believe it's open in China yet and it's tracking to open very well in China. Mm. I think it's going to make a billion at least.
0: Well, yeah, this this is this is just the opening 3 days plus the uh, mm-hmm. the couple of, the couple of weeks it's been open internationally as well.
1: Yeah.
0: Like the 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 current US like even the, the 59 million over the first 2 days. By the weekend it should hit that hundred hundred million 100 million easily. And have to see then We can look at it next week to see where it is sitting after the first week. But mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of comments I've seen online are people, are, again, they're going to go and see it more more times. I've, I know people that have seen it two or three times, and it gets better. They see more more things sort of jump out and stand out to them in the film. Which, of course, re- you rewatch something that first time in theaters. You just sort of excited to see things happen, and you don't really. Get a chance to stop and think about things until you get out of the theater. But just going back and rewatching it again and again—that's what a lot of people are doing. So,
1: I will say, I was tempted to um, to sneak into the theater next to me, which was just starting their show. And <laughs> it was around ten o'clock, and but I didn't because I had I had uh, work the next morning and I had to get up early, and I wouldn't yeah. have gotten home till after midnight.
0: Yeah, I've thought of it, because we don't have ushers or anything like that here, so it's... it's, it's
1: oh, neither they, do we.
0: They, they stand at the door and take your tickets as, as you sort of go in the theatre, but once the theatre starts, or the movie starts, they um, go onto the next screen to uh, start packing that in, so they don't really pay attention. A couple of times in um, Force Awakens... um mm-hmm. Well, I took my son to see that, and he drank too much Coke before, <laughs> before the movie started. So when they, um, just after they blow up Maz's Cantina, he needed to go to the tort, So he went to the tort and come back, as uh, X wings are on the scene. Like, okay, that happened, and um, <laughs> there was not, like no one in the lobby there to check that we're going back in the same theater and that. So he probably could have just gone back into another one next door and started the film again, but <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't. But um, and we're not in any way. Um, suggesting you should <laughs> either
1: yeah. no this movie. It's a good movie. It's worth a lot more than the uh, Rotten Tomato score.
0: Yeah, and and you you I don't know if we mentioned that on the podcast last week or the week before, but uh, when Jay was on, but you've sort of said that in groups and that as well. That all the others, the other sequels, even Lost World that we're talking about now, are sitting around that fifty percent as well. So it's sort of yeah, critics will look at a film critically, but it doesn't mean it's it's an accurate description of the film in the eyes of fans. Mm. Look look at that fan meter. That's the one you should be looking at, not the critic score. So, anything in closing, anything else on *Fallen Kingdom* you want to
1: discuss? No, I think we covered that pretty well. We'll of course have more thoughts to discuss after uh, you've seen it and Jay has seen it. Mm. We can all come back together and just kind of do a breakdown. You know? Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna see it this week sometime. I, by the sounds, of it, Tuesday might be a quiet day at work, so I might be able to get off at lunchtime and go and see it then. And uh, we'll we'll get a spoiler, a spoiler filled and a full breakdown of the film. Yeah. In a couple of a couple of weeks, we'll give it a little bit more time for people to see it.
1: And there are definitely some concepts in there I want to discuss with you.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of those things were sort of discussed in, oh, not in joke, but side side so discussed um after fallen kingdom come out. Um, mm-hmm. there was a lot of memes going around of uh <laughs> where the franchise could go and some of those ideas I didn't quite I I actually liked and um there is one big uh twist plot point in the film that um I'm surprised hasn't been brought up before and um it's uh, it's good it's finally in there and uh I can't wait to discuss it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So um If that's it, ready to get into uh, 109, talk some Lost World. (laughs) Yeah. All right. As we enter on minute 108 of the Lost World, the Tyrannosaur is causing chaos in downtown San Diego. As we open on minute 109, the Tyrannosaur takes a bite out of an overhead traffic signal. As he does this, a city bus swerves in the intersection to avoid crash cars and tries to evade the big animal. At the 10 second mark, it falls in a step alongside the bus as the driver tells everyone inside to get to the other side of the bus. At the 14 second mark, Tyrannosaur swings its big head left and impacts the bus, sending passengers flying out the opposite window and pops the bus up on the two wheels before it crashes back down again onto the street. At the 23 second mark, we cut inside Blockbuster Video as the bus approaches and crashes through the windows. Everyone flees as the bus takes out several rows of videos before coming to a stop. At the 35 second mark, we're back out in the street as the Tyrannosaurus is chasing down more pedestrians. At the 42 second mark, David Capp thinks he can evade the Tyrannosaur by running into a bookshop, but the door's locked and he is eaten comedically. And as we end the minute, Ian and Sarah arrive on the scene with the baby. And this ends minute 109 of The Lost World. As we continued on from last minute, the Trenasaur sort of was twisted its head with the uh, traffic signal in its jaws, and the, uh, the Cedar Street sign falls away and sparks out, and we get some bursts of sparks here as it's uh, pulling on the traffic signal. But um, we cut to the city bus turning sharply to avoid the intersection, and inside the bus, um, the driver's panicking. He's, call- panicking, panicking um, he's calling for the passengers to get to the other side of the bus, um, mm-hmm. and then we cut back outside as the Tyrannosaurus sort of falls in the step beside it and roars and the, uh, the bus driver decides it's a good idea to honk his horn
1: <laughs> um, which of course we, never, we know it never works with deer so it's probably not going to work with the T-Rex
0: well it, it goes back to Eddie arriving back on the scene in the trailer sequence was him beeping that horn did that attract the Tyrannosaurus back or oh, yeah, it was did. that yeah. used to scare him away is that what stopped the initial attack um so, again, it didn't end well for Eddie, and it's not going to end well here for this bus. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, and I find it weird, too, here, where we just got... I don't know if the, the noise of the bus is 80 yards or if they just used um, the, the foley sounds from on the set, but just the bus is just driving along in gear. It's not He's not accelerating. He's not trying to uh, go faster or evade the Trenosaur, which, I suppose needs to be here, so the bu- the Trenosaur does what it does to the bus, but um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I just thought it was weird. If, if you're not going to um, have the bus try and avoid the Trenosaur and just sort of mute out the sound a little bit, so it's either bring the score up or make the Trenosaur's footsteps a bit louder or something, just to hide the, hide the noise of the bus, so the fact that it's just the bus driving on set, getting ready for a stunt.
1: Um,
0: but the T-Rex roars and lowers its head and gives a big swing to the left and uh, mm-hmm. smashes up against the front of the bus. Um, sparks fly, and the whole front of the bus implodes as it rocks up on the two wheels. Um, yeah. We've got some... Um, I'll go. Okay.
1: I, I said I remember having this... Um, it was like a lenticular disc or something. It was Oh, and I remember It's a movie moments, like 3D disc or something like that. Little square kind of disc, about, uh, I'd say, a quarter of an inch thick. Yeah. And if you moved it back and forth, it showed the T. Rex smashing into the bus. Oh wow! It was yeah, it was really cool. I don't remember where I got it from, but I think I ended up breaking. I, I like it just cracked in half one day, and I ended up throwing oh, it away because <laughs> I I've never seen another one like it. Yeah, I can't find it on eBay at all.
0: Yeah, because the only one I know of is the one that came with the VHS release, which is the Tyrannosaur's head coming through the logo, which I find funny that that art of that Tyrannosaur head um, is now, by looks of it, being put on the T-shirts with the Jurassic Park logo under it. (laughs) I find it's funny that um, more imagery from the Lost World being used and it's being related back to Jurassic Park and not the actual film it's from. But um, No, that's a shame. Yeah, I've never... You've Never heard of it before.
1: Oh yeah, I so that's what I, and I loved it as a kid because I mean, I loved the Lost World. I grew up with it. It was, it was um, the second Jurassic Park movie I've ever seen, and again it was only the second only the second Jurassic Park movie ever. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, it was um, this holographic. I can't even call it a disc really because it was like a little box, and I think it was called like movie moments or something like that and they had the, the lost world logo in the corner yep. and for life of me i've never been able to find it again
0: i'll let you know a little secret david uh-huh. we have listeners let's let's crowdsource this anyone listening that knows this lenticchio image that dave's talking about would love to know at least know where where it's from like yes, if you can't find it on ebay or anything now that's that's sort of one thing but at least jog dave's memory of where uh where he would have found it from that'd be great Great to hear.
1: Yeah, yeah, it would be. If anybody could, that'd be awesome.
0: Yeah. All right, the bus.
1: <laughs> but yeah, the the bus was practical effect. And what they did was they took, like, wired strings, and um, I think it was pressurized.
0: Yeah, make... we've got some photos that we'll post up during the week of uh, inside the bus for the start, where they got got um, large cylinder, gas cylinders or oxygen cylinders, where it's all sort of air-powered rigging to the inside of the bus with cables and uh, opened mm-hmm. that big butterfly valve and um, as the air escaped, it sort of pulled the plungers, and just, yeah, all the cables went taut and pulled the bus inwards. So um, I think they also had a, a rig on the bottom of the bus where a wheel come down and actually lifted the side of the bus up because I think there's one photo of the bus just sitting there after the incident and it's just sort of still sitting up on two wheels it hasn't gone back down on the, on the all four again. But
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think I did remember hearing about that. Mm.
0: But, um, yeah, we got those photos. We can sort of post them up during the, the week. Because, uh, yeah, like, the bus is completely gutted, and we'll get to it in a minute when they get to the, uh, to the video store. But <laughs> once the, uh, stunt's been done, the bus is completely empty as well <laughs> of passengers. Mm-hmm. But, um,
1: the rigging was actually the same mechanics that they used to crush the car. Um,. In the first Jurassic Park, they, that wasn't actually the T. The T. Rex's foot wasn't actually smashing it into the mud. Mm. They used an air piston system that was similar to kind of implode the ceiling of the Ford Explorers.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Much to uh, people's thinking, Jurassic Park was a documentary, and that was a real trend. saw standing on a car at uh, <laughs> yeah. It was just I mean, the, the practical foot and the CG animal mm-hmm. above it roaring.
1: No, there was a practical uh, animal
0: above it, too. Well, yeah, when it's got the tire, it's jaws, yeah.
1: Oh. Yeah,
0: yeah, true. Yeah. Again, just good use of both, where the CG model mm-hmm. comes down, bites the tire, and then it cuts back to, yeah, that's standing on the car, and the, the animatronics there above it with the bit of tire stuck in its teeth and roaring. But, yeah, back to the bus. We, As the uh, bus comes back down, the sparks fly, we cut to the uh, opposite side of the bus, and... Uh, people being thrown through the windows <laughs> and i love you too there's also a guitar case that seems to rocket through one of the windows like it was air driven as well <laughs> which i understand it's a it's a it's a big impact for the especially considering the damage in that and the bus it was mm-hmm. enough for the bus to go up on two wheels but um they normally make bus glass pretty tough and sturdy
1: true to, uh, because i mean i mean they don't really go through the best of neighborhoods to be honest <laughs> You know, I mean they kinda of have to withstand bullet holes as as terrible as it is to say
0: that they do. <laughs> well, I I was thinking more stones and that being thrown at it when it's parked in the in the bus like the bus company areas and that like sometimes yeah. you get vandals and that do that that sort of stuff, but oh. okay, drive by's as well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I'm from Chicago. It's it's a daily occurrence, unfortunately.
0: Well, we're in we're in San Diego, but even sort True. of yes.
1: Much better yeah,
0: neighborhood. Yeah, and this whole time I'm thinking back to speed as well with some of the stuff that bus went through. <laughs> which, oh,
1: yeah, really.
0: which was only two years before this, so right, yeah, it was ninety five, I think. Or ninety four. Anyway, different minute. by minute podcast.
1: <laughs>
0: so yeah, I just yeah. And it sort of it gives us that out for people to get out of the bus and start running away as it um does what it's about to do, but the Rex pulls back and we see the damage to the bus and then we cut to the inside of the video store. Uh, We get that famous King Lear poster and uh, Jack as well can be seen there with uh, Robin Williams. Um, I don't think there's anything else to add to King Lear. We've sort of discussed it a bit in previous minutes. Just the fact that it was a made-up movie for the the film with Arnold Schwarzenegger on the uh, poster.
1: Now, it's kind of sad, but true. But when, um, darn, when Nostalgia Critic, uh, reviewed this movie, he's like, why are we not seeing those movies? <laughs> I agree with him on that. Why have we not seen King Lear with Arnold Schwarzenegger yet? Why? Hollywood, get on this.
0: Yeah. It almost, it sort of, I don't know if it's an in joke to, um, to uh last action hero
1: he might have been
0: because um in that he like it's it's not romeo and juliet It's one of those one of those thing where he's sort of as um the boys having sort of a dream daydream in the middle of class we see arnold in um like holding the skull horatio and all that sort of stuff from um i was gonna say spoke oh, bloody Shakespeare, that's the one. <laughs> um, sort of the, the sort of um and making it into an action film and his daydream and that. But um I don't know if that's it wasn't called King Lear in that film, but um I wonder if that's some sort of callback there because of the fact they went ahead with releasing Last Action Hero on the same weekend as Jurassic Park and Jurassic Park absolutely destroying it box office wise. <laughs> So, I yeah, I don't know. It might be. There's there's some there's some in-jokes here. We're going to get to a big one in the next minute as well, which I'll need your help on, but it's there. It exists. Because deeper in the video store, we also see a, uh, a poster for Tsunami Sunrise as well, which, uh, it's a real film, isn't it? I don't know. I don't yeah. think so. Because Jack is. is this... Jack definitely what? is.
1: What is?
0: Jack. Jack's stiff def- with Robin Williams, that's definitely a real film
1: no that's not they they uh missed that oh I think there's a similar one with Robin Williams but no not that one hmm oh.
0: I felt it lot. it looked like he was wearing the same sweater he wears from Mork and Mindy but <laughs> it might have been I mean... it might be Hook or something I'm thinking of because that was another Spielberg thing as well
1: yeah there, there, there was Hook with uh Robin Williams
0: yeah yeah so yeah <laughs> alright But uh, from this shot high up at the back of the video store, we can see the bus approaching from outside, and it slams into the front of the store and knocks over several of the shelves before stopping. And it's sort of hard to tell. I always thought someone died here, but I think it's just the falling shelves. I think it's definitely that that King Lear poster gets picked up by the front of the bus and sort of pushed forward um, through the shelves, and I always thought that was a person and not just uh, the poster or the standee. But... um, no, every, everyone gets out of the way just in time, it seems, as the the bus crashes into the video store.
1: It's
0: only a closer looking here, too. I've, you can finally see the Blockbuster sign on the, on the wall.
1: Yeah. Um, now, Blockbuster, that's the real living parcel here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, but, yeah, big 97, too. Yeah.
1: Well, they were at the height of movie rental back then, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, all DVDs just I'm, coming out.
1: Yeah, I was just about to say D V D had just come out. I remember I can remember the advertisements for them, and they're like, you can hear a pin brick. But if it scratches, it's going to skip on that one scene and ruin your entire movie experience. <laughs> <laughs> I remember having or renting um the Hulk. Not the Incredible Hulk, the Hulk, the um what was it? Like the early two thousand, like two thousand three or something like that.
0: Yeah, Anglais Hulk, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it must have had a scratch on the disc because it oh, would wow. stop and just start skipping like every ten minutes, and we're like we returned it the next day, we're like, this thing is defective. Yeah. So it was like early DVD too.
0: Yep. Ah, uh, memories. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and it's also here, as the bus is sitting in the video store too, you can see it's completely empty. And the uh, mm. the driver's completely dressed in black and seems to be wearing a helmet as well. Which, uh, <laughs> it's sort of dressed him in black so he doesn't stand out. He's sort of just in shadow, but you can sort of see that silhouette and that big, yeah. that big round head, which uh, implies a helmet. Yeah, then we cut back outside the street as panic continues and people flood out onto the streets. We see one woman jump up onto a car and run over the roof of it before jumping back down the stationary car. Don't—that's not really a fast way of evading anything. And plus, you're jumping (laughs) up onto a higher position where uh, you're hiding everyone else, and you puts you a very convenient biting height. (laughs) To use a word from uh, or line of dialogue from earlier in the film. So, yeah, that that was odd, but. we also get the quick shot here of the uh, Japanese businessman running as well. And um, mm-hmm. we get our first look at David Kep playing that uh, poor bastard as he's running with the group as well. Yeah. And again, sort of a lot of them running while looking backwards, which it's not a very fast way to run when you try to turn and look behind you as well. But it sort of shows, um, while it's a scary scenario, they're seeing this animal for the first time and sort that, of that wow or that awe is still here as well. There's not, It's not just running and trying to get away as fast as you can, you're running, but you're sort of like, wow, is that a dinosaur? And
1: that's the reason why I would be eaten on Jurassic Park.
0: Mm.
1: I'd be like, oh my God, it's a T-Rex, chomp. Yeah, Yeah, well, instead
0: of running up over that car, I'd sort of like stop and stand beside the car and sort of duck down and hope it didn't see me and go, oh, wow, it's a T-Rex, and then realize that it sees me and I've got nowhere to run to.
1: (laughs) Yes. did you watch the um the extinction now video yet on Twitter of the T Rex chasing the bus? No. Huh. I'll
0: I'll get onto that. Yeah. I think I've seen someone post about that today. Let's write that down. Something to do after the record. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, first time. Okay. And then we um we cut to inside that. it looks like a bookshelf. There's um, a small pile of books in the window there, I think. But um, a glass-walled shop, and um, we see the Tyrannosaur move into view, and one person breaks off from the pack and runs towards the shop Mm. or the door. And it's sort of interesting, too, because at this point, the Rex has caught up to the group and sort of lunges forward and is right beside David Kep. Like, its head's right there. So Mm. to continue running forward, the Tyrannosaur is already caught up, and that's why he sort of stops and... Um, runs in the opposite direction to the train over towards the uh, the shop, but um, the wreck turns its head, uh, turns its head and chases the fleeing man. And <laughs> David Kep does one of those things that I always seem to do, and I do it every day at work, even though I've been in there for five weeks. And no, the door is pushed and not pulled, but uh, <laughs> runs straight into the glass door. <laughs>
1: uh, that shot, I, when I was a kid, I always, for some reason, thought it was a reflection. Mm-hmm. because we get the shot of him running behind, and then we the next shot we see of him is running into the door. I always thought there was a reflection of him running into the door. Yeah. It took me years, and I don't know why, <laughs> it took me years to realize there was actually a shot from the other side of the door.
0: Mm. And that's that's the thing, like, even... You might not even be in a hurry. You might walk up to that door and it clearly says pull, yet you are still going mm-hmm. and push it, <laughs> or vice versa. It's just... <laughs> They just, yeah, can they roam, I suppose, makes you wonder what was going through his head as he's running towards the door. Like, of course it's <laughs> going to be closed. <laughs> but the because like, he goes to try and pull on the door too and it doesn't open. Well, he doesn't really get a chance to pull that hard because the uh Trenosaur is there and turns his head to the side and grabs him around the waist and pulls him back out onto the street. And, um...
1: We should probably get that worst death scene in any... Jurassic Park movie. I mean, that's like the worst acted scene ever. Yeah,
0: it, it takes me straight back to the original film where Nedry slips over and you get the Looney Tunes whistle go, which <laughs> just the 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 ADR work here, whether it's kept or whether it's someone that's just done the dialogue or the sounds afterwards. But just that impression of being bitten, then carried away and then dropped on the ground and eaten. It's just it is very cartoonish. <laughs>
1: It is
0: so bad. Yeah. In a film that's dark, and, like, the, the scene itself and the action itself is dark, but to have... And maybe that's exactly why they... Spielberg done it, was just to try and make it a little bit... bring the levity up a bit. But that Trenosaur just grabs him moves him out behind the car and then steps on him and proceeds to eat him. Like, it's... And as we said before, Fallen Kingdom like in and that in Jurassic World So of like that implied you don't actually see you don't see anything, you see him, the Rex drop it down or drop him down behind the car and start to eat him. You
1: mm-hmm. don't see
0: the blood or anything, but you know exactly what's happening. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and it all happens behind the view of the car, but um as we end the minute we cut to uh Ian and Sarah arriving on the scene and um Ian says, They're there and Sarah replies, Oh my god. We don't see what mm-hmm. they see but um We've just seen some of the aftermath of the Tyrannister yeah, running down the street. Hmm. So, uh, anything else on that you want to bring up before we get into the shooting script briefly?
1: Uh, no, I think we're good.
0: Alright, so um, in the shooting script, again, we get the bus screening around the corner, and um, all all the uh, shooting script sort of happens the same way. The um, bus sort of spins out of control and slams into the side of a building. It's not described as a um, as a video store. It's just smashed into a building by the Tyrannosaur. And um, I suppose one of the other things too is here, it's sort of all the all the people running down the street are described as um, the midnight movie freaks that all come out of the, the cinema earlier that was playing that Blood, Blood, Blood trilogy. And uh, the Tyrannosaur sees everyone spilling out of the cinema and starts, bellows and starts, um, starts chasing them down the street. So all that happens is much the same as what we see in the film. And um and then yeah, just basically the um the unlucky bastard scene. It's sort of the Rex bangs into him and um, knocks him over on the asphalt, and then eats him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's sort of, then it sort of snaps at another two people that run past, not so much to eat them, but more of a keep away from my kill. As, um, <laughs> as more people sort of flee the area, that's where we are with the shooting script. Pretty much much yep. the same here. So. Um, if that's it for 109, we'll get heavy for today.
1: Yeah,
0: sure. All right, guys, let's get the hell out of here. Contact details are on the website, thelostworldminute.com. And you can email feedback to thelostworldminute at gmail.com, Facebook, the Lost World Minute, Twitter at the Lost World Minute, And Instagram, the Lost World Minute. Easy to remember. Yeah, yep, yeah, very easy to remember. Right. <laughs> uh, David, thank you for joining me for this
1: recording.
0: Welcome. And uh, we'll be back. I've been Brad. I'm Dave. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Talk
1: to you later. Bye. It is absolutely imperative that we work with the Costa Rican Department of Biological Preserves to establish a set of rules for the preservation and isolation of that island. These creatures require our absence to survive, not our help. And if we could only step aside and trust in nature, life will find a way.